Hello everyone, and welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive contest that gives you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me from the left our good podcast host, Shaylin Allen West. Greetings. And from the right, our evil podcast host, Ben Jurek. Merry Christmas, everyone. Whoa, he said the thing. I said the thing. Well, happy holidays to not everybody that celebrates Christmas. Happy holidays. Oh. Really, really going full gamer with this one. Hey, all games are equally worthy during the holidays. <laughs> this episode is coming uh, a little closer to, to Christmas for perhaps everyone listening to it than it is for us. As, uh, for those of us recording, it's still well in advance. Uh, but not so far in advance that we aren't probably all thinking about what we're doing for gifts this year. Yeah, which is extra troubling for some people, because I have a December birthday. Oh, yeah, you do. Double gifts. (laughs) No, 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 not double gifts. That's the problem. Shaylin has to get two 40k-themed gifts from her husband this year. (laughs) (laughs) So, I I guess that's a, a thing to talk about a little here. Um, in, in the, in the, in terms of like 40k gifts and really, you know, Christmas gifts or holiday gifts in general, um, how how do you rank that sort of thing? Like, do you, do you want people to get you, uh, boxes of minis or stuff like that? Do you consider that a good gift, bad gift? Where do you sit? Um, so I usually make a list because I almost never want anything. Mm-hmm. And if you buy me a 40k thing off that list that isn't a hobby supply, it's probably something I'll eventually use, but probably not for a long time. Right. Ben? Depending on if you know the you know know exactly what you're going for, it can be really difficult to make my own like 40k list. I'm unfortunately one of those people that's impossible to shop for. Mm-hmm. Um but if I am buying something for somebody else, and I know they're into forty k, but they, you know, and they don't have like a picked ar- a chosen army or anything like that, um, I like to go adjacent, and I like to uh, get them a video game off of Steam, typically. Oh, um, okay. Mm-hmm. I recently had a friend uh, go ahead and uh, he he's been playing forty k Gladius, uh, and uh-huh. you know he contacted me like, oh, I really want to build an army now, just because he started playing uh, a game. So right. Um, I've lost him to for the past two years. He hasn't been out in the game, but now he wants to get back in just because he's been playing that video game. Uh-huh. So there are some some very good 40k video games out there. Whether you're talking the Dawn of War series or something a little more first persony like uh, Space Marine, uh, there are a number of mobile games, some of which are actually pretty decent. Uh, and then you have like the Battlefleet Gothic and all of that that is kind of like 40k adjacent. Um, there's, there's a lot of really solid, uh, Warhammer universe games out there. And that's, that's without even touching on all the fantasy and age of Sigmar stuff. Yeah. Um, I will say a rather appropriate gift. If you know, someone actively plays that will not be at all amiss is a piece of terrain. Yeah. Terrain is, is one of those things that, uh, most people are going to be able to make use of. Uh, whether it be for building a personal table or making a display board or whatever. Um, it's pretty hard to go wrong there. I am actually a big fan of um, very your, your hobby supply kind of things. Uh, rather than buying an actual like 40k kit, 
getting someone, say, like a good set of X-Acto knives or a new uh, Dremel with some bits and whatnot to go with it, uh, or a cutting mat, or an organizer for their desk, or, or whatever it may be. Like, stuff for the hobby that is not actually 40k kits um, is, are things that they're going to use and are going to be really useful, but you don't have to worry about, like, oh, did I buy the unit that's the best this year, or is this thing bad? Yeah. At the end of the day, we're all basically just drug dealers dealing out an addictive uh, substance and yeah i like yeah. to i like to do the first taste is free um type of attitude or something that that they don't know they'll think they'll get them hooked into 40k like the game and then mm -hmm. suddenly before they know it they're you know three thousand points deep in a new army and it's all my fault uh i i will say a troop unit is often okay you could always use another troop unit Yes, uh, there are some easy choices there. A troop, a transport, one of the HQs. Uh, if you were a non-40K person who's looking for a 40K model, uh, the basics are usually pretty reasonable to do something with. Mm -hmm. uh, I think my favorite 40K-related gift was a Storm Raven. Mm -hmm. So... From there, let's go ahead and dive into our main topic this week, which is CP allocation. Yes. So, I, I guess the first thing that we have to start off here when we're talking is, like, what is CP allocation? What does that mean? Well, Sean, it's thinking ahead several turns in advance of where your CP should be and what you kind of plan to do with it. Just like any other part of your game plan. W would you go so far as to say five turns in advance? Yes. Yeah. Well, even before that, because you, you spend it before you even start playing the game. Yeah. Uh, so the basic concept here is something that uh, people may be familiar with to varying degrees. Uh, but as Shailen said, it's, it's planning in advance. Um, and more than just that, it's having some or all of your CP expenditures planned out before you even take that first turn of the game. Um, now, we're going we're gonna to kind of undermine that whole concept as we continue to talk about it, but the, the basic idea is that when turn one begins, you know, I have X amount of CP available to me, and I'm going to spend it on this stratagem, and this stratagem, and this stratagem, and this stratagem, and that accounts for all of my CP. And that's it. You've, you've planned it all out before the game begins. You are a 4D chess master who uh, can think so far in advance that you've already won the game before moving a single piece. You've seen into the Matrix in the future. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And then uh, you encounter an actual battle strategy with your opponent and realize that's not going to work at all. Yes, uh, it turns out that's that's the ideal. That's not what actually happens. Rarely. But but let's take, talk a little bit about that theoretical at least. Like why why is that even valuable? Like you know, is is as much as we understand that that is a false idea that. We may have this plan, but we will never adhere to the plan. Why would you make the plan if you're if you're never going to stick to it? Because the plan also forces you to make sure you have CP at the end of the game. 
Mm -hmm. Um, For example, it's a tool for that. And the other thing it does is it also helps you build mental strategies for considering whether or not using CP mid-game is actually a good idea or not. Yes. It gives you a baseline. Yeah, understanding that value, I think, is key to it. And knowing whether a stratagem is is worth spending CP on, basically. Yeah. I really like to break it down as a, you know, at the end of the day, this game is you have points you're spending, you have resources. And we mm-hmm. actually have, you know, two resource pools we build and pull from. Um, mm-hmm. One being our points build and the other being your CP build. It's really just a different source of resource of points. Um, and at a game design mm-hmm. aspect, mm-hmm. you have to spend those points as efficiently and adequately as possible. Um, otherwise, if your opponent spends CP better than you do, um, you're going to lose. So you got to have a good strategy yes. to go against how they spend theirs. I- I'm going to point out, Ben, you can still lose a game spending CP better than your opponent. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's just your... It, if you uh, if you do a better if you do a better job of using your CP than your opponent, you're typically going to do better. Yes, you're more likely to win the game. Nothing is ever a guarantee. Yeah, I mean, I sp- I can spend two thousand points on a you know superior units. If my opponent plays better than me, it'll still go that way. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so at the end of the day, like Ben is correct, it it is a game of resource management, and CP is one of your resources that you can expend. And the ways that you expend that are going to influence who wins the game. Uh, might not win you every game, but if you consistently spend your CP better than your opponent, then you are going to similarly consistently come out ahead of them. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about how much CP you have. Um, because that's actually a weirdly deceptive question to ask, is... You know, how many CP do you get this edition? And there's, like, three to five different answers that I think you could all say are legitimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before you start, it's weird, because technically, you all start out on the same blank slate. You all have a 2,000-point yeah. army. You all got 12. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. everyone has 12 CP. <laughs> Except that, of course... They don't all have 12 CP, because very few lists actually start the game with 12 CP. Because, I mean, you're probably buying detachments. That's going to cost some CP. You're probably going to buy some relics or warlord traits or stuff like that. That's going to cost you more. And there's a bunch of other pregame strategies that various people have access to. So you don't really have 12 CP. Mm Mm-hmm. But then, of course, you are gaining CP over the course of the game as well. So you don't have 12 CP because you have more than 12 C, but of course you have less than 12. Yes, and then you have, like, the buyback like relics and stuff that occasionally give you a varying amount back. Right. It's all very confusing. Um, Yeah, but the first thing to look at there is how much CP does your list actually have to start with? Um, Say if you are subtracting out your mandatory expenditures of, I will, you know, I'm buying this detachment that costs me X, I need to take a chapter master because otherwise this army doesn't work without it, so that's, you know, a couple more there. Um... There are some expenditures that you you can sort of, like, subtract out right away. 
and then you can add your 5 CP over the course of a game. Since you effectively start with 17, it's just some of it is reserved for the later turns. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and figure out what your actual CP value is. Yes, I will tell you, as a Grey Knight player who has a pretty reliable way of getting CP back for myself, mm-hmm. I don't count on that CP being there. I don't plan for it. If it happens, it's gravy. Yeah, and there's definitely different perspectives you can look at that based on how reliable that is. Um, for the Grey Knights, it's one of the more reliable ones. Um, but you can definitely look that, at that as either like bonus CP, like, oh, I've opened up new options... Or, uh, the, the way I often look at things like that is I think of them as, like, two to three extra CP that I should get, and maybe I'll get a little bit more beyond that, but, you know, expecting to get, say, five CP out of regen abilities is pretty optimistic. Yeah. Um, my, my feelings there is, uh, is I can reasonably expect two to three extra, Mm-hmm. So I have planned, like, okay, if I'm getting my 2 to 3 extra, what does that look like? If I get maximum extra, what does that look like? I've done that mental yeah. exercise, but I just assume every walk, get walking into every game, it's not happening. Yeah, if I'm, right. if I'm gauging my opponent, and I know that they're taking that, that spell, and I know it's likely going to get cast over Smite in most cases, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, you know, plan for them to have that much extra, because uh, you also kind of want to plan out how much the CP your opponent is going to have. Um, so yeah. if, they, if they have a relic that gives them CP back plus their generation plus a spell, um, you got you have to be aware of it and you have to plan for them having a crap ton of CP to do some rel- relatively insane stuff, either mid or late game, just because they have the ability to. On the mm-hmm. same concept, you also have those abilities that make things on your side possibly cost more. Um, and mm-hmm. the math becomes difficult on that end for you because then how much CP do you actually have if they you know, if they bring the right assassin or whichever. Yeah, that's actually one of the reasons that the the Calidus Assassin and effects like her are very powerful, because they can disrupt your opponent's CP expenditure plan. Um, Especially at the high levels of play where uh, people are are kind of going in, like, I'm going to activate this stratagem three times and this other one twice, and that's all the CP I'm going to spend. If you can drain one or two CP out of them, suddenly they have to start adjusting their plan. Yeah, yes. and you get the super variant things that are just really kind of tilting, and they, they kind of you know it turns into a bad turn for you when someone like you know they hit you with Vect and you don't get the refund. Um, yeah, you know, that that you know that's that's a really rough place to be. Yes. Uh, alternatively, they hit you with Vect and it doesn't do anything, and they're pretty tilted. Right. That's that is one of the reasons that those those high-value, high-risk stratagems like that can be kind of dangerous to use. Mm-hmm. And kind of in that same vein, uh, let's talk a little bit about stratagem value. Ah, yeah. Because, like, when we actually look at stratagems, they're they're basically all in, in a pretty limited window. There's, like, one, two, three, and... I think Vect is the only 4-CP stratagem in the game? Yes. I don't believe there are any others. Oh no, there's one of the night ones. The the, the targeting missile, I think, is 4 now. No, it went 2-3. to three. Oh, it's 2-3? to three? Okay, I know it went up 1 point. In any case, uh, it's you basically have 1, 2, and 3 point 
uh, CP stratagems. Um, which means there's a pretty limited amount of variability between them, but there's a wide variability in how valuable they are to you. Yes. For example, I've got a couple two CP stratagems in my codex that aren't guaranteed effects. Yes. That makes them noticeably less valuable to me suddenly. It's like, that's a, if I'm, that's kind of a Hail Mary play, especially because I can't re-roll those dice now. Yeah. Uh. This kind of comes down to the, the list you want to play, in my opinion, um, especially in, when you're looking at like Chaos, for example, they're a pretty CP hungry army. Um, you mm-hmm. need, you have, I have a, you know, a list of, of like, of like, I must use these. I might use these and I'm not going to use these. That's, you know, I have these like three categories and mm-hmm. on the, on the must uses, um, you know, I I had to allocate because I cause it obviously can't do them every turn um, unless I'm getting pretty lucky on some regens. Mm-hmm. Uh, on my must uses, you know, I I kind of plan my you sometimes build your army your entire list around those. Those are those are your things where it's like my army doesn't work without this stratagem. Like I you know right. we're we're completely built around using this multiple times a game. Otherwise, like why would I bring that subpar unit? Right. Uh, especially you see this for, like, stratagems that change how you can be targeted and stuff like that, uh, where it's just like, oh, this this totally changes the game plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it changes the stat of a weapon, or uh, does you, like, you know, a double shoot, or it gives you, you know, gives you plus one yes. to wound, or a bunch of other stuff. Just really critical, just, you know, um, statistic-altering effects on the game. Uh, a lot of armies kind of like, there are even some lists out there that literally just don't run without that stratagem. Yeah. Uh, and kind of to that point, I think this is where it's really important to not only know your stratagem list, but know how much effect those stratagems have. If you have a 1 CP stratagem that, let's say, uh, on a 6 to hit, or a, you can make one additional attack. You need to know what the math on that stratagem is and when that stratagem is going to be viable for use and when it's going to be important. Um, Because if you are, say, Imperial Guard, that stratagem is trash. Mm -hmm. It's doing nothing for you. But if you are Orcs or Space Marines, that stratagem may be very valuable to you. Uh, depending on the matchup and and some other things like that. Yeah, one thing I wanna I wanna talk about is 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 a trap that a lot of players fall into on value, um, and that is the command reroll. A lot of people, it's the oh, no. easiest one to use. Uh, it's the most one that comes to mind, and this is one where yeah. you kind of like get attached to it, where like you know, or people just feel lucky, feel feel lucky, like they'll fail an invuln save, um, or they'll fail an armor save that's like a five up or something, and they're like, oh, I'll just reroll it, and it's like. Well, why are you doing that? Well, so I don't lose my model. And it's like it, it's it's one model. It, it's okay. It it can die. It has no effect on the game, really. Um, we talked about this a bunch in our command reroll episode. I would strongly suggest you go back and listen to that. Um, even though that is an eighth edition episode, so some of the things we talk about, such as uh, rerolling stratagems that work on a die roll, that no longer applies, obviously. Uh, but we talk a lot about using the command reroll 
on dice rolls that don't change the outcome any. Yes. Um, if you have a squad of ten guardsmen and I shoot at them, why are you going to command re-roll one of those saves? Not only are you probably going to fail the save on the re-roll, but I will just shoot one more bolt gun into that unit and kill that one guy that survived. So unless you have a very good reason, you shouldn't be re-rolling that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, most people do this with a vehicle or an HQ or some other expensive model that they're very emotionally attached to, rather than random guardsmen. Uh, but I do see this as like a thing where like people will try to save the last guy in a squad, and they'll spend way too many resources doing it. Yes. Now, admittedly, I've played games where I have spent a little bit of resources to make a squad about twenty percent harder to kill, just because I want my mm-hmm. opponent to spend more resources killing it. Yes, there are times when it can be valuable. If it is your last model holding an objective and your opponent doesn't have guns that can shoot at that guy, yeah, maybe you should re-roll that save because it could be the difference between you holding the objective and not, and if that's a 10-point swing for you, that's huge. It's worth trying. Yeah, I just want to bring to the attention that in 9th edition, when killing matters a lot less, um, Mm -hmm. you don't need to try and save your thing from dying that often. Um, and that's like the most common situation you see on any table in any game store is someone just like, oh, I failed my save on my dreadnought. I'm going to re-roll it. And it's like, why? Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, re-rolling peril saves. Just just let it happen, guys. Just let it happen. Most of the time, yes. Um, you, you typically are not going to want to expend your command re-roll points on things that are not game-changing. Um Failing to get onto an objective because of a bad charge or advance roll, that's game-changing. Yes. Um, your warlord dying to a perils because the Psyker blew himself up and cascaded into a bunch of other stuff, that's game-changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... The last... Some random schmuck on the Grey Knight squad dying, just let him die. Yeah, let him die. Um, it's, it's just not that big a deal. Even if it is like, oh no, they blew up my Predator or whatever, that tank has a lot of guns on it. Well, you know, your chances are probably going to be a 5-up or a 6-up on the save anyways. And even if you do save it, it's still going to be degraded. Yeah. It's still going to be wounded. It's, it's not going to be as good as it could, and your opponent still has other guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's kind of all the basic stuff you have out there for uh, for value. Is that's the that's your basic like low value, don't do it example without getting too specific oh. into what certain armies do. Like, the the other one that I will throw in here as a don't do it, um, Overwatch, uh. huge trap in ninth edition. Unless your unit is exceptionally strong in Overwatch or you are looking at a model which is very, very close to dead and will wipe out your whole squad if it gets in, Yeah. don't don't overwatch. It's just not doing anything most of the time. It's an extenuating circumstance stratagem. That's, that's definitely yes. for sure. Yeah, and, and some stratagems do fall underneath there. Like, sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I do want to use this stratagem that I almost mm. never use because if it works here, it cripples my opponent's game plan. Yes. It's definitely a trap. Hitting on sixes sucks, guys. Always remember that. 
yes, it's is not good, and you you're gonna get fewer hits and fewer wounds than you think you are, and your opponent is gonna save them. Um, yes. Just it it it's one fourth or one fifth of one unit's shooting phase. It's not enough most of the time. But there are some stratagems that, in certain matchups, really jump to the fore. Um, I know uh, the the Orc Codex and Grey Knight Codex both have some stratagems that, like, in certain matchups become wildly more powerful. Yes. The one that comes to mind uh, for me is the Chaos Demon Stratagem Possession. Um, in some oh, matchups, yeah. in some matchups, it is it's the your opponent needs to dodge that and avoid perilousing as much as possible. Um, mm-hmm. in other matchups, it's it's useless. Yes, uh, that is the one that doubles the damage from uh, uh, perils in the warp. Yep. Um, which for most psychers in the game means that they are at a pretty good chance of dying to the first perils. Um, that's potentially very dangerous. And it's those kind of situational stratagems that you need to be ready to adjust your plan for. Uh, and you can you can only do that if you're familiar with your Codex's stratagems. This is why we've, we've said in the past, and we'll kind of reiterate here, read your Codex, and then read it again, and then read it a third time, and read it a fourth time, and read it once more right before the tournament. Yeah, seriously. Um, I had the pleasure of pulling out some cool back pocket stratagems I never get to see in Grey Knights um, against mm-hmm. Josh Seth one time, and he's like, I didn't know you could do that! And it it did have a very positive effect on the game, and then my army died anyways, because reasons, but yeah. Yeah, well, Grey Knights. <laughs> Especially the time I was playing them. You know, and another another thing is, is also being, I mean, you get into the strategy play of just like, well, your opponent has a four-up deny stratagem, um, for denying mm-hmm. your psychic power, uh, do you want to try and draw it out um, with a earlier psychic power? And then, if you're on the using end of that CP, you need to know when exactly you want to use it. You know, we can go over how to deny stuff. That's not what this episode is, but um, that's definitely yeah. a value exchange that costs CP. Yes. Yeah, and there's actually a lot to get into when we start talking about uh, stratagem value and whatnot. Uh, so I am going to make a motion that perhaps we should all take a little refreshments break right here, visit the canteen, and then when we come back, we're going to discuss in detail sort of the value propositions of different sorts of stratagems and how you should be planning that out. Excellent. I hear they have actual cookies this year. Ooh. All in favor? Yes. Aye. All right, I think we have an unopposed motion. Greetings, this is your good host. I am here to extend a special COVID offer to any and all gaming-related businesses that would like to advertise for free on In the Finest Hour. Times are hard, and we want to support you. Give us a jingle at inthefinesthour at gmail.com, 
or message us on Facebook and we'll hook you up with the advertising. Shailene, those were technically cookies in that they contained flour and sugar and egg. You were expecting nice from the cheapest of cheapskates in the galaxy? I wasn't. I just, when you said they had actual cookies, I didn't think you were talking in like a philosophical sense. <laughs> uh, never gets old. I am pleased that that's an evil answer. But I am displeased in the cookies. <laughs> yes, I think we. I think. I think the displeasure in the cookies was fairly universal out there. Uh, the the riot was, you know, pretty good evidence of that. Oh yeah. Especially the fact that they used the cookies, you know, to burn down buildings like that. More than anything, that sort of indicates to me that like maybe those cookies were not up to par. Just as planned. Yes. So, let's start off here talking. We, we touched earlier in the episode about pre-game expenditures of CP. Um, unsurprisingly, this is the, the first category of things, because it is literally the first category, mm -hmm. um, in terms of how you kind of allocate and expend your CP. Uh, and this actually starts well before the game even begins. Yes. So this is why copious amounts of playtesting is your friend, as usual. Um, mm -hmm. Because you need to know, like, what happens when I use that CP in that relic? Does that relic pay for itself? Um, is the relic dependent on the matchup to pay for itself? Mm -hmm. These are questions you need to ha ask yourself and have answered before you walk into a tournament. I like to go a step be, uh, even just before that, and I like to look at you know exactly what detachments am I taking and what am I trying to playtest, since the only way in this edition to mix um, any sort of detachments and uh, mix allies and such uh, is having to actually pay for it. Um, That's true. And, yeah. you know, and, what, and what exactly costs does that bring? Like, I doubt there's a lot of good argument out there to spend six P CP to bring a knight these days. It's not an attractive proposition for most armies. Um, those those three and God forbid more than three CP detachments. Uh, it's it's nearly three CP if you want a single knight. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, but like an actual super heavy detachment with three bane blades that eats half your CP right out of the gate, um, and that's a hard sell. So you really need to look at like oh. I want to bring a fourth heavy support slot. Well, I'll just take that, you know, other detachment to get one more slot. And it's like, mm, is that worth three CP? You really need to be looking at your detachments. Can you fit, say, a patrol instead of a battalion? Because that's one fewer CP you've got to spend. Uh, do you need that patrol at all can you maybe just adjust your points a little bit and drop one unit of something and take something else um the very first thing you need to look at is 
making sure you're not overspending on detachments because I think that's going to be a very easy mistake for people to make. Yeah, early in the edition, I was looking at a lot of like double patrol lists, you know, to get your three detaches and you know get access mm-hmm. to three codices worth of stratagems and units and um, try and like get to the point of of you know how lists looked in eighth edition and. Yeah. I found them a lot less attractive. Um, you know, single patrol is about all I really want to go these days. Um, if I'm even mixing armies, you know, I play orcs. I don't, I definitely just build sometimes just battalion these days. Um, but yeah. just, you know, when I'm looking at other lists and such, uh, it, it's not, it's not as good. <laughs> um, it's not the way it used to be. Well, and that's by design is because soup gets complicated for balancing reasons. So they've made it. Yeah. Kudos to GW for making it for making it reasonable. Actually, um, this is this is kudos to them on, on their on on that game design of this. You have that that weight. Are there are there lists out there that run three detachments and probably could do well? Oh, absolutely. Um, but no, they're doing it with a little with you know at a bit of a handicap, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And kind of to that same point, uh, and as Shaylin was discussing a little bit earlier, there are a lot of pregame strategies that due to the way Ninth Edition is written, uh, you will have to lock into your list before you start any games in a tournament. Um, if you are playtesting, you should also be like locking these in before you see who you're going to play or anything like that, uh, because that's how it's going to work in a tournament. Um, but because those expenditures are locked in, you need to make sure you're getting value out of all of them. Yes. Uh, what I've discovered is three relics, pretty hard sell. Like, uh, that's a lot of CP. I don't think I think you're getting diminishing t- returns at that point. Yeah, uh, for the for the codices that have the old style relic buy, where you know first one is free, second one is one, third one is three. Uh, it is a tough sell for that for that third relic. Um, not to say you should never do it, but you going you're going to need some very good relics in order for that to be worthwhile. And a lot of books just don't have those. Yeah, and if, if you have the ability to to you know buy those things on top of also buying like uh, detachment upgrades from like your psychic awakening book, yeah, uh, not detachment upgrades, but like unit upgrades. Like I have you know uh, custom um, the custom workshop upgrades on top of like mm-hmm. a war boss upgrade. The the orcs the orcs can get real spendy real quick if you want to. Yeah, a lot of books can with Psychic Awakening. It's it's very easy for you to blow all of your CP before the game starts. That's a, in almost always a terrible choice. There are a small handful of armies that can afford to go down to like one or two or three CP, um, but you should typically not be doing this unless you really know what you are doing and really have a strong plan. Uh, because most armies can't afford to do that. It will just... It's going to ruin your game plan because it, it means you don't have any options once the game begins. Yes. And to point out the obvious, this makes your really, like... Um, your really special relics that only hit certain against certain armies and such um, way less likely to be taken unless, like, that's a significant part of your local yeah. meta. Um, so yeah. the, the, I'm going to point out the obvious, you probably don't want to, you know, take the relic that only affects Lanesh units or something. Yeah. It's made the trashy, trashiest relic in the Grey Knights even trashier. That was oppressive. Yes. 
this is also true for warlord traits. Oh yeah. Um, I, I, I see people take these like sort of niche warlord traits fairly often. Um, I just I don't think it's a plan that works out. You want traits and relics that affect as many games as possible and as many units as possible. So if it's like a warlord trait that's like, your warlord can re-roll all hit and wound rolls versus demons. It's like... Cool. I don't think that's pulling its weight. That's not worth the CP. My my uh, my Tau battle suits are sure going to uh, be do real rough against that. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. So... Think really hard about your pre-game expenditures for CP, because those are locked in. You must spend those every game. You cannot adjust that. And any time you're locked into something like that, you need to really think about how much value it's getting you. The one, like, I've been having an interesting conundrum with with the sisters list is upgrading for a null rod. Sure. That's a good example of, you know, a in a powerful option, but one that is only good against a very limited subclass of armies. Yeah. yeah. And I want to emphasize that, that that lock-in really has changed everything, and that's also made it mm-hmm. um, actually the, some of the most important decisions you can make, uh, mostly because of, you know, the hindsight and foresight of, like, well, if I hadn't bought that, I'd, you know, have, have this 2CP to do this game-winning strategy. Well, at the yeah. on the other end, um, it's you have to be you know on the days that, like it's super helpful that you they made that choice. You're like, okay, um, this really paid for itself. But uh, this you're locked in a tournament and in a five round GT. Um, that this is easily some of the most important decisions you can make, even though it might not feel like it because it's not in the clutch. Yeah. Yes. So let's go ahead and move on to talking about the sort of the points you actually have available. Um, how many, how many points of CP do you typically see your army starting the game with? You go first, Shaylin. 11 to, to 10. Yeah, because Grey Knights aren't really taking multiple detachments. They, they can't afford to. Uh, it turns out, uh, elite armies just all pile into one battalion pretty neatly. Or even, yeah, a battalion or even a patrol in a lot of cases. Yep. Uh... Yeah, that's you're you're starting pretty high on the scale, Ben. How about you? Eight or nine. Okay, yeah, that's roughly matches up with my experience as well. Is most armies live in the six to ten range for starting CP. Um, above that, and you're you're sort of like you're giving up all your warlord traits and relics and other special stuff. Um, and it feels like you kind of have an almost needless amount of CP, uh, and below that, it's, you know, if you're, if you're starting with less than six, like, you only get two stratagems this game. Good luck! Uh, Uh, so, I, I would say those are good border points for someone. If they're looking at, like, how, do I have too few CP, or do I have too many CP, as weird as it might sound to say that, um, you can look at if you're in that range. Um, and part of the reason too many CP is problematic is, again, it's coming back to this is a resource you can use. Mm-hmm. And if you're not using this resource to buy detachments, relics, etc., 
you may not be getting a full value out of it because there, there is a diminishing returns on any resource. Yes. Um, for example, in games where I start with a little SCP, it's because I've put things into reserve, not in standard. Yes. That's another uh, big one for... It's not actually pre-game, but it's almost pre-game. Um, many armies are putting units into strategic reserve or using codex-specific stratagems to put things into reserve. Yeah, I would call that one pretty dedicated. Like, I almost never not deep strike my mat guns, so that's that's a pretty dedicated spot. Sure. But there there are other units that may be less common, like you're not going to do it every time. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, even, even, against, even in that matchup, I might not do it sometimes, but... Um, right. I, I definitely include it in my overall game plan. Like if I'm looking at a, you know, a multi-round tournament, I'm going to be like, okay, here's sure. what my CP is going to look like. Mm-hmm. So beyond that, once the game actually begins, you should hopefully, you know, you've done as we talked about before, read through, know all your stratagems, and you're going to have an idea what the like, three to four most valuable stratagems are in your army, uh, and probably a game plan that involves using those stratagems multiple times in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, if you have a fight-twice stratagem, uh, like orcs or space marines do, um, you may be looking at, like, okay, turn one, I'm going to move up, I'm going to get in cover, we're going to hunker on some objectives... And then turns two and three, I'm going to pop off my fight twice stratagem because I know I'm going to need this to, you know, deal with whatever units my opponent is throwing onto objectives. Mm -hmm. Yes. With that type of strategy, I like to take a look at the board and, you know, start and look at those really powerful ones. And, you know, always have a reserve, especially in like your reactive ones. Um, Green Tide being the orc example Mm -hmm. of like, I'm probably never going to drop myself below three CP unless there's something super game changing because that three CP is reserved and it's a late, it's a usually typically a later game reserve. Um, so yeah. I, I need to be really careful on how I spend up to that point. And then I also have to build in those obvious points of like, okay, I'm going to shoot again here for sure. Cause this is how I get the most value out of this unit. Um, and mm-hmm. I also want to be able to, uh, you know, fight twice over here or, you know, I'm planning on my war boss going in and suiciding um, and, you know, fighting on death. So, um right you a lot of times especially in my games i only other than like what i'm regenning which i sometimes plan for also uh i'm pretty i'm I'm at zero when i start the game yes and that's what we're talking about when we think of this this plan of like okay i'm gonna need to pop off green tide once i'm gonna need to fight twice or fight on death two times I'm probably going to have to spend a command point on something maybe one to two times. Uh, And you can look at that as like, oh, I am already at zero CP. Uh, I I have effectively spent it all. It's just going to happen on future turns. And and that's where knowing your matchup really becomes valuable. Because there are some matchups where you are absolutely going to need to fight twice. And there are some matchups where you're not going to need to. You know, if you're orcs and you're beating up some Tau battle suits, you probably don't need to fight twice. Once is going to be enough. They're going to be super dead. Yeah. The yeah. the point I want to make here is that on these on these uh, on these dedicated points, um, some people get stuck in their game plan, 
and they're like, well, I'm going to shoot twice. And you once again, you have to look at the stratagem value. Um, just because right. it's your usual game plan, if I shoot twice and like all I'm going to do on my shoot twice is pick up a troop unit or a transport, you don't need to that mm-hmm. turn. Just because you normally would um, doesn't mean you need to exactly then and there. Uh, and you can save it for later or do something else with it. Um, you, you aren't concrete right. built in all the time, and you kind of have to adjust for that. Um, yeah. You know, if I if I drop in a group of uh, of tank buses and I you know pick up a knight and I'm like on the first volley and I'm like, okay, um, I typically would shoot twice for that, but I uh, you just got okay, some free CP. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and this is where I would say kind of tracking your game plan and your good and bad luck can be very useful because if you do pick up that knight on that first volley, which is absolutely possible with a unit of tank busters. Um, if you don't need that second volley, now you can look at that as like, oh, okay, I have two CP to spare now. Where is that going to give me a similar amount of value? Mm-hmm. Uh, what what can I do with this that is going to actually change things? Is it is it going to be fighting again? Is it going to be shooting again somewhere else? Is it going to be activating a defensive stratagem or something like that? Um, this is where knowing your codex's stratagems pays off a lot because when you are ahead or behind, you can adjust your plan. Exactly. Um, I personally like holding on to just like trying to hold on to two CP to have in late game because sometimes I'm tired and frazzled and I may not realize what I need, but I like having two C- at mm-hmm. least two CP walking into later turns. Yeah, I would say this is something else we talked about in uh, some of our other episodes, but the difference between having zero CP and one CP is tremendous. Oh my god. And obviously, you regenerate that one CP every turn, so each battle round, you are going to have one CP available to you, uh, generally speaking. But... What you should always think very hard about going to zero CP, because as long as you have one CP, you have a ton of stratagems available to you. Uh, not just codex-specific ones, but also your Overwatch, your Command Reroll. We kind of poo-pooed those a little early on, but those can be absolutely game-changing in the right circumstances. And late game, yes. The, the value of stratagems and of everything really goes up in the late game because there are fewer units and fewer stratagems being used, so each one has a bigger impact on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can maintain that resource advantage to the late game, where you are roughly similar, say, number of units on the board, but more CP, suddenly your stratagems can have a huge effect on things. And that's why you really don't want to go down to zero if you can help it at all. Yeah, the, yes. the difference of weight that Command Reroll has in a late game on an armor save, on an HQ unit, um, fighting another mm-hmm. HQ where you've, you know, you've slugged it out in this game of attrition, once again, the, the value yeah. has increased. You can just see that, you know, ascending that ascending line graph of where the value of that um, 
of that command reroll has has gone. You know, you have a lot less stuff that can shoot your guy. You, this is the only thing actually affecting the game. The it affects game state significantly, and that's the big thing you want to focus here is affecting game state. And you know, I want to draw the flag where I don't really see anybody having this issue, but since we're making the argument um, <laughs> of you, you still want to spend your CP. You don't want to be on turn four with ten CP. Um, if you're winning, go yes. ahead, but you could have probably tabled them at that point if you still have ten CP. <laughs> uh, it's like turn four. Yeah, um, just like, you you would think it absurd if you saw someone bring a 1,400-point list to a 2,000-point tournament. You're like, well, what's your other 600 points for? Oh, I didn't use those. Well, so what what do you mean you didn't use those? That's, that's one of the main resources you have available to you. You should be using absolutely all of it. Think of your CP the same way. What you want to do is end every game with zero CP remaining at the bottom of turn five. Yes. But you don't want to run out before then, unless there's a lot of value. Yes. So your CP are absolutely a resource that you want to make use of all of, if possible. Yeah, I don't I don't see many people that have that problem. I see more people that like to spend all their CP by turn two, um, but... Just yeah. just for the argument's sake of of uh of you know we, you don't want to spend all your CP well you you still want to just responsibly. I I do see people do that sometimes. Everything in moderation. Yes, uh, you 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 want to spend neither too much nor too little. And again, practice helps you. Uh, there are some games where it's like. I've actually played some practice games recently because I'm teaching someone how to play and stratagems are just a later thing to teach someone because they're just that much more complicated. Yes. Um, so I've been playing a lot of games yep. without any stratagems at all and it totally changes how you play the game. Yes, it does. Uh, stratagems are big. They're one of the things that makes 8th and ninth editions very different from the previous ones. Um, and... Yeah, if you ever want to, like, handicap yourself to, uh, you know, play against someone who is maybe not as good as you, or you just want to sort of, like, feel how it plays, try playing a game without stratagems. Suddenly, things look very, very different. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also useful to practice if you're someone who's bad at spending stratagems. It's like, ah, yeah, I get myself in the situation where I might as well practice. (laughs) It's... And if you are struggling to allocate your CP, um, one way you can do that is divide them up between the turns. Say, if you start, if you have 9 <coughs> CP at the beginning of the game, and you know you'll earn 5 over the course of it, that gives you 14. Mm-hmm. That gives you 3 CP per turn, and 2 on the last turn. There you go. Now, just fix those CP in place. I have three cp to spend this turn i'm not allowed to spend more than that yeah with the with the armies i like to play um i usually you know first turn unless something goes real you know sideways or real conflict real fast one to two maybe Mm -hmm. um four if i four if i'm you know playing the stupid stomp a list but uh (laughs) (laughs) um beyond that like most my cp is spent on turn two and turn three uh Turn four and five, yeah. I'm kind of holding it close, clutching it. I mean, they're not turn four and five. I'm thinking former, but like two and three, real, real yeah. close. Four and five, I might have one or two I might spend. Right. Um, CP does kind of get expended towards the middle of the game. 
Uh, although that varies army by army. Some armies do want to front load a lot, especially these like heavily offensive armies that are kind of just intending to wipe out everything that could possibly mm-hmm. hurt them. Um, so you need to look at what kind of army you are playing. If you're playing an army that intends to just outscore its opponent and play a, a long game of attrition, you're going to need to save CP for the late game, because the late game is where you do your best work. Uh, on the other hand, if you are a very aggressive army that intends to just run over the opponent and not have anything left on turn 5, you're going to need to spend your CP earlier, and you're going to need to look at your allocations for that as, like, okay, maybe maybe I do spend 6 CP on the first turn. And that can be okay if you're spending it on the right thing. Yes. Uh, everything with intention. And uh, there are a lot yeah. of sites out there and resources you can find that analyze individual stratagems in your codex. I highly recommend reading mm-hmm. into those if you haven't before. They can give you some pretty enlightening ideas. I don't always agree with all of them, yeah. but they are... It's valuable. Well, yes. <laughs> so let's wrap this up by talking just a little bit about regeneration of yes. Um we, we talked about this some already. There are a lot of different philosophies for how you think about this. Um, from the comments you made earlier, Ben, it seemed like you sort of had the same philosophy I do, where you consider that CP to be part of your starting pool, essentially. Yeah, I like to take the, I like to take the average, um, just how I do everything else in this game. I like to take the averages, like if I'm shooting into something, here's my average amount of hits. It's, it's straight math hammer for me, it's still dice rolls for the most part um Mm -hmm. and i like to take the average uh and adjust for plus or minus like i'm not gonna count on my green tide going off on a possible like regeneration like i'm not gonna you know put my stratagem around that but uh, a like if i lose a command reroll to it it happens sure uh but shaylin you you kind of seem like you have the opposite philosophy on that where you only plan for the CP that you absolutely know you will have, and those additional CP you kind of treat as like a bonus or like flex. Yeah, I've been burned and had absolutely no powers go off enough games at tournaments that that's just what I do now. Sure. Uh, And that is a very relevant distinction there, is some CP abilities are guaranteed, um, for example, getting the, the one CP back for having your, your Warlord on the table is like, oh, you will get that if your Warlord is on the table. There's no die roll involved. Yes. Uh, whereas the Grey Knight Psychic Power that gives you a command point is not guaranteed. It's Warp Charge 7. It can be denied. Um, rarely is, though, but yep. it can be. Um, you can just outright fail it, even if you put the Uber Relics on the guy. So it's just like, you know what? Yeah. Fine. I... If I get that one, it's happy times. If I don't get that one, I'm not worried about it. Then I don't get anxious and upset. <laughs> right. And and this can follow through to if you have abilities that gain CP after, off of your own or enemy uh, CP expenditures, such as your uh, Aquila or uh, Grand Strategist, Pure Tide Ship, etc. Those tend to be a lot more random. I think Shaylin's philosophy there is probably the correct one, where you you don't count on getting those CP. You think of them as like, oh, I might have a little bit of extra, uh, but it's it's just unreliable enough that you can't assume it's going to work. Yeah, yeah. The super unreliable ones, though, I do like to average them. Um, in this edition with less stratagems, 
they they're they aren't mm-hmm. as productive where you know before on like helmet of the third eye you're like it's gonna give me two at some point um now now it might yeah. not even get you one it's absolutely mm-hmm. possible um just you know that one in three chance you know 15 times sometimes it just won't go mm-hmm. off yeah as I said, I've gotten burned by psychic powers. Um, I've had dumb things happen. It's just like, nah, that one happens if it happens. Uh, if it was a guaranteed one, I'd treat it differently. I'd probably treat it more like you and Ben do, but it's like, it's not. Yeah. I don't treat it as guaranteed. Right. Yeah, I, I guess I weigh that out by, you know, since a lot of my stratagems that I use are very offensive stratagems, I, I sometimes lose a little bit of horsepower on a turn because um, I'm going to reserve it for... I'm typically going to reserve, like, green tide or something. Uh, my absolutely must go off, so I, I won't let a random chance effect. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think we have kind of covered the subject here uh, in terms of figuring out how you allocate your CP. This is a very army-specific topic. Um, there is no one answer to, you know, you should spend nine of your CP on this and four on something else. Um, it's going to vary from army to army, from codex to codex, from faction to faction. Game to game. Game to game, even, yes. Um, so you really do have to be thinking about where your CP are going to go. And you should think about that as you're looking at your matchup. Is when you, when you first pick up your opponent's army list, uh, think about, like, which of your stratums or stratagems are more valuable against this foe, and which of them are going to be less valuable, and kind of adjust what you're going to do. If you if you realize, like, oh, they have a universal minus one to hit, my double shooting isn't going to do anything to them, um, then you can look at that as like, okay, I've freed up six CP that I was going to spend on double shooting for other stuff. Now what am I going to do with it? And you have to be doing that, just like with everything else, you have to be thinking about that each game and each matchup. Yep. Agree. Mm-hmm. So, hopefully uh, this has illuminated things for folks. Uh, I know we talked a lot about maybe some sort of broad generalities here, uh, but unfortunately we we cannot fit every stratagem in the game into a one-hour podcast. That's just not going to happen. Um, and I don't think anyone wants to hear the six-hour version of this episode where we talk about every single stratagem from every (laughs) single codex, uh, because that is neither useful nor enjoyable. And also not stable, because new codexes are coming out. No. Uh, but if you do want to talk about some of the specifics a little bit, you have some questions, it's like, hey, I keep using this stratagem and it never works out for me, but everyone thinks it's really good, or, uh... You know, what am I doing wrong? Here's the, the, the CP points that I spent. And, you know, can you, can you help me out with this? Uh, you can get in contact with us through Facebook or through Gmail or through Patreon, where we are in the finest hour at each of those. And if you would like to have a more ongoing conversation, you want to help support the podcast, uh, we have our Patreon group for $5 a month. You can get in on our private Discord server and Facebook chat. And all that money goes to help pay for our hosting and recording equipment and all that sort of thing. So thank you very much to everyone who does support us. We really appreciate it. We know that this has been a difficult year for both you and us. And for all those who have continued to support us, it really means a lot. 
I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for doing our awesome iconography and just continuing to be a badass producer of art everywhere. Yeah, he's been he's just been putting stuff out every single week, it seems like. It's like an advent calendar of Rylan art. What's not to like? <laughs> I'm perfectly okay with that. I should probably um, do that. I'm making kind of a, a Christmas commitment to um, support my artists. So, uh, And speaking of supporting artists, if you enjoyed the sounds of this podcast, uh, be and before and during our break, uh, that is by Dank Muse. You can find him on Spotify, YouTube, and SoundCloud. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up for the episode. Next week, we will be talking about the end game, specifically turns four and five of the game and how you approach that and the, why you need to think of that as so important. Oh, I thought we were talking about the Avengers movie. <laughs> I was going to say, we weren't going to be talking about the Avengers movie, so. Uh, well, what it actually is, is I was going to be talking about Ender's Game, ah. but I abbreviate it down because it's the cool thing that all the millennials do. Uh, okay, sure, okay. Portmanteaus, the 19th century fad that's taking millennials by storm. <laughs> no, uh, that is that is not. We will be talking about Warhammer 40k as we usually do because thank God that, that is what this podcast is about. And I think both my co-hosts would be extremely confused if we made a left turn like that. Very. I I, I don't know what I'd do. Yes, I would. I think everyone would be a bit confused there. How's about we end the episode, gentlemen? I think we'll do. Okay. Good. So we're in the finest hour. I have been Sean Morgan. Shailen Allen West. Ben Jurek. Thanks for listening.